Good morning again, everyone. Welcome to Lakeshore. We're so glad you're here. Smyrna Campus, we love you guys. We're glad you're with us today. Everyone that's connected with us online, we're glad you found us there. We are finishing up a series today called Happy Thanksgiving, and we're leading into our next series, which is Rediscover. All of us are thinking about now, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope everything went well. Uh, good, safe. If you did gather with family or friends, you had a good, safe gathering and enjoyed that. But of course, we had right after that, we have what they call Black Friday and Tomorrow we have Cyber Monday and everybody's gears are, if you're not, some people started way before Thanksgiving, but if you hadn't already started, now it really kicks off this idea of getting ready for Christmas and, and all the frenzied buying and shopping and all of that that's going on. You see advertisements, they started really early this year, you know, it was already giving the big discounts even before Black Friday came along. They were extending that time where you could buy things at a discount and it really starts trying to focus all of our attention on the material side of Christmas. But in this series, we've been talking about how to have a happy Thanksgiving lifestyle. And that lifestyle is different. It's not driven by greed. It's not driven by this idea of having to get more and more and more all the time. We started the series by talking about how we need to learn to trust God completely. Trusting God is the basis for, it's the foundation for having a happy Thanksgiving kind of life. And then we talked about if you really trust God, it frees you up to live generously in the way you conduct yourself and treat other people. And of course, last week we talked about how that enables us then to invest in the things that really matter by advancing the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom, which is the church and the world today. And today we're going to finish up the series by talking about how to, as we get ready to go into Christmas, if you're not already there, how we need to learn to enjoy contentment and not think it's all about getting that next thing, that newest thing, that little bit better thing than what we have now, but how we can learn to be content in all circumstances. There was a devastating man, a devastated looking man that knocked on the door of a, of a house. They knew the lady that lived there. Everybody in town knew she was a very charitable lady, always wanted to try to help people out and did so many, many times. And when she opened the door, the guy said, uh, please, ma'am, can you help this poor, tragic family down the block? The, the father just lost his job. The wife is too ill to work. They're about to be turned out onto the cold streets because uh, they can't pay their rent. And if somebody doesn't help them, they're just going to be kicked out on the curb. The lady said, well, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. I, I, I can't imagine allowing that to happen to anybody. May I ask who you are? He said, yeah, I'm their landlord. <laughs> You see, what I want to close this series talking about when we're talking about a happy Thanksgiving lifestyle is that if we don't learn contentment in Christ, it can so warp our view of the world that we don't care how we treat people to get what we want, to make sure I've got mine and my family's got what I want my family to have and we don't really love and others the way we need to. We're not really concerned about others and the struggles that they're having in their lives. 
This whole series, we've been basing it on a, a story that Jesus told in Luke 12. I'm going to get to that in a minute, but today I want to change it up a little, and I want to start with a passage from the, from the book of James, if you want to be turning there in your Bibles or pull it up on your smartphone or tablet. James chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And these verses we can easily read and not and think that they're not talking to us, that James is not speaking to us because we don't see ourselves in the warning that James gives. But I want us to read through it again and, and, and rethink this idea of why that warning is there, okay? James 5, beginning with verse 1, he says this, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Now, we, we see right up front, he says, listen, you, what's the term he uses? Rich people. And so naturally, we say, I'm not rich, right? Uh, I, I don't have a wealth accumulated where I consider myself to be a wealthy person. And in America, probably all of us could say, yeah, in the American standard, we're probably not considered wealthy people. But again, we've got to get the worldwide perspective and understand that if you're just an average income earner in America, just average, you're in the top 10% of the world in income. We are wealthier than we think. Now, that doesn't mean you've accumulated a lot of wealth in the bank. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about lifestyle, standard of living, the stuff that we have. We're wealthy people compared to a lot of other people in the world. There's a, a large group of people in the world that right now are living on less than $20 a day total income for their whole family. Some not even that much. In some countries, that's the average, $20 a day for the average citizen. And so we, we think of ourselves as not being the people James is talking to. And even if we're not wealthy right now, there's still a warning there, even if you don't see yourself that way at all. Even if you look at that worldwide perspective and you still don't see yourself as the rich person in the story, the warning is still there for everybody. Because if we get this perspective wrong, remember Jesus made this statement, life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Poor people can get that wrong too. They can misunderstand that too. They can think their life is miserable and awful and they have no contentment at all because they're poor because they think life consists in the abundance of their possessions too. You see, this warning's there for everybody. If you start thinking that life does consist in the abundance of your possessions, then what it can do is so warp our thought process that we don't mind stepping on people to get something. We don't mind somebody getting hurt so we can have what we want. We don't mind others going without so that we can have extra or newer 
or better. You see how we can get it out of perspective no matter what income level we're on. If you have the wrong motivation, if you have the wrong perception of what life is all about. James is speaking to a specific group of rich people in his culture who were so consumed by their accumulation of stuff and wanting more all the time that they were hurting other people and they were looking for ways to cheat other people out of something so they could have more. He says, the wages of those who worked in your fields are crying out against you. You know what, he had, what these rich people had done? They had not paid the people that worked for them the way they were supposed to, the way they had agreed to, just so they could keep a little more for themselves. And if you think life consists in the abundance of your possessions, you look for ways to cut corners and not fulfill obligations and ways to maybe even cheat people out of something so you can have something for yourself. The motivation of, what, of greed for stuff can cause us to not care about others and about treating others the way they need to be treated. So today I want us to look at three lessons Three lessons about how we can learn to enjoy life more by learning to be content where we are with what we have. Now, when I say contentment, don't misunderstand what the scripture means by contentment. Contentment does not mean that it's wrong to, to go after that promotion at work if it's available. Contentment does not mean you turn down the raise if it's offered to you. That's not what contentment is. Contentment does not mean you don't try to work hard to improve your skills in advance. That's not what it means. It's talking about what drives you. And can you be happy even without the raise, without the advancement, without that next thing that you're wanting to achieve? Can you still, in the meantime, be happy, joyful, and content? while you anticipate the possibility of those things. So three lessons we need to learn about enjoying a contented life. The first one is we need to learn to evaluate yourself by who you are and not what you have. Learn to evaluate yourself by who you are, not what you have. Remember, life doesn't consist in what? The abundance of our possessions. So when we think about our lives and we evaluate our lives and where we are and who we are in life, we should never start with, well, I'm not a success because I don't have this stuff. Or my life is successful because I do have this stuff that measures success. Your life doesn't consist in that in the eyes of God. He looks at your life, he looks at you, and he doesn't look at the stuff and measure you by that. He measures you by who you are on the inside. He looks at the heart. Now, there are three good reasons not to measure your life by what you have, by the stuff. The first reason is your wealth is going to rot anyway, even if you get it, right? If you watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas, that movie, you'll see a scene there where later on in the movie, they're still talking, you know, celebrating, buying all this stuff, having all these gifts, you know, and then the gifts are gone and it's going to ruin Christmas. But, but the Grinch makes a great point. The Grinch is, is wrong about a lot of things, but he got one thing right. He says, all your stuff ends up in the garbage dump eventually where he lives. He says, I see all your stuff and where it ends up. It's in the dump. That car, 
Have you ever been to like a car graveyard or junkyard where they got all the old cars out there? And, you know, people might still be trying to get parts off of them that might still be usable, but, but they're rusting and rotting out there on the, on the ground. That's what happens to that car you're making that huge payment on every month. That's the destiny of that car. Even the houses. Any of the stuff we think life is all about, it all ends up rotting. And Matthew 16 and verse 26, it's a great question that Jesus asked. Listen, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He says, if you sell your soul to get the stuff, the stuff that's just going to rot anyway, that's not a good exchange. That's not a good trade to sell your soul to get stuff that's going to rot anyway. Now, he's not saying you can't have the stuff. He's saying don't sell your soul to get it. Don't forfeit your soul. Don't give up being in here who you're supposed to be in Christ to get the stuff. That's not a good trade. It's a terrible trade to trade who God wants you to be to get the stuff that's going to rot anyway. So your wealth is going to rot. That's one reason. The second one is your possessions are going to fade. Your possessions are going to fade. Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching that Sermon on the Mount in verses 19 and 20. He says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. We all know the excitement. I can remember a few Christmas mornings as a kid growing up when I had something really special that I had asked for. And, and it was so much fun to wake up on Christmas morning and go running into the living room there where our tree was and see that thing that I really wanted so much right there on Christmas morning like you had hoped it would be. It is so exciting. But how long did that keep me happy, do you think? right after playing with it the first time sometimes. You're off to the next thing, right? What's next? What's next? What's next? What you thought would give you such joy fades quickly. It really does. And we work so hard. And we sacrifice so much to get it. My parents couldn't afford to give me that stuff. I know a lot of times when they went out there and got it for me, I, I, I know now looking back on it that they made sacrifices they shouldn't have made. They, they spent money they shouldn't have spent. They went into debt when they shouldn't have gone into debt to get us that stuff, and it didn't keep us happy long at all. It faded so quickly. And right now, a lot of you are thinking, you got to go buy all this stuff right now for all these people so you'll make them happy. And, and even stuff for yourself. You've got your list and you're sharing your list with the people that have asked, what do you want for Christmas? And you're sharing those things with them, thinking, boy, I'd really like to have that. And, and it would be nice and it does bring a moment of happiness when you get it, but it fades so quickly after you get it. We've got to keep it in proper perspective. Your possessions are going to fade. I just saw where they're advertising automobiles now. You can buy a 0% interest for 84 months. Finance your car 
for 84 months. A car, an automobile. After you've driven that car two years at the most, it's going to have to have repairs and maintenance and all kinds of stuff. Maybe not even two years, right? The maintenance is going to have to be done before that. So you've got all that. And you say, well, it's covered under warranty. I know, that's good. If you've got a car that, that covers that, that's great. But it's still stuff that's got to be maintained. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to try to not let it happen. But here's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to ding your car. Yeah. They are. You're going to walk out one day after work and there's going to be that little place there. No note, right? You don't know who did it. Going to be that ding, that scratch, or you're going to, you know, scrape the garage, pull it in one day or something like that. Something's going to happen to that car. And they're going to come out with a brand new model every single year of the car you're driving. Or they're going to discontinue that model. And everybody's going to know you've got an old car because they don't even make it anymore. Some of you are still driving a Pontiac. I know, right? They don't even exist anymore. You see, all that stuff fades so quickly. We can't lose perspective as Christ followers. This stuff is so temporary. Let's not get so attached to it. They make it so much a driving force of our lives. The third thing is your gold and silver will vanish eventually, no matter how much of it you have. You see, let's go back to the story Jesus told in Luke 12. He told them the story, right? The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I've got no place to store my crops. He said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, oh, man, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I'm set for life, right? I'm set for life because I got all the stuff I'm ever going to need. Isn't that the goal so many of you are working for every single day? Is to get to that place where you can say, man, now, finally, I'm set. Set for life. I can retire, I can, I can just enjoy life, I can travel, I can do all this stuff. And what did the Lord say to him? This very night, your life's going to end. Worked all that time to get all that stuff so you could get set for life without realizing that was your life. That was already your life. That's how you spend it. Just trying to get all the stuff. Thinking once you got all the stuff, then you can live your life. But you've already lived it. You've already lived it. And all that stuff is left behind. It has no value where you're going. Whether it's heaven or hell, it'll have no value where you're going. It won't buy you anything. It won't set you up in any way. It hasn't prepared you for what you're going to in any way just because you had all that stuff. That stuff vanishes when you leave this world. And you have no use for it at all. It's amazing how much time we spend trying to accumulate the stuff, get more of it. And we use up so much of our lives in that pursuit 
only to have life end having wasted it in so many ways. You don't get it back. You don't get another chance. There's only one life that you get. Don't let it be consumed with the wrong things, with the wrong priorities. Lying on his deathbed, you know the story, this rich guy said to his wife, listen, I want you to promise me that when I die, you'll take all my money and you'll put it in the casket with me. I want to see if I can take it with me, right? And, and so he dies, and just before the undertaker closes the casket, she takes a box up there. She's got her best friend with her. She takes a box up there and puts it in the casket, and they close the casket. And after the service, the friend says to her, you didn't really do that, did you? He, she said, of course. He told me that's what he wanted. He, I promised him I would do it. She said, you put all the, his money that he had in the casket with him? She said, well, here's what I did. I transferred it all into my account and I wrote a check for the full amount and stuck it in the casket. If he can cash it, he can have it. <laughs> you can't cash it then. It has no value at all. So we need to learn to evaluate ourselves by who we are, what our character is, where we stand in our relationship with the Father through his son Jesus, not by what we have. The second lesson we need to learn today is this. When, when we're thinking about being enjoying life in the meantime, we need to learn to be content with what you have and not what you desire. Learn to be content with what you have now, not what you desire in the future. It doesn't mean it's wrong, remember, to desire other things in the right way. But in the meantime, learn to be content with what you have now. I love what it says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, we could take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Now, right now, there's even a challenge for some people to have food and clothing, right? With loss of jobs, loss of income during the pandemic, there are people, more people that, that have food insecurities in our country right now than have been in a long, long time. And, and so that is a legitimate concern, right? There are basic necessities that people need to have. But you don't have to have more food than you need for today, right? And you don't have to have more clothes than you can wear and a closet full of clothes you don't ever wear, right? We don't have to have... By the way, I want to thank everybody that helped out with the Thrift clothing drive last week. It was a huge success. Uh, the person from Thrift that was here said, you guys always blow us away because you come out and you're so generous donating all that you donate. Smyrna Campus, you guys donated a lot. Antioch Campus, you guys donated a lot. It was great. But you know what that showed all of us? We had a bunch of clothes at the house we didn't have to have. We had bought them all, right? Or people had given them to us. They bought them and gave them to us as a gift. We have right now probably some closets full of stuff that we haven't worn in a long, long time. So he says, let's learn to be content with what we have. But it's not this season's style. <laughs> Give it time. It all comes back anyway. Right? <laughs> it all comes back. I'm not saying it's evil to go buy a new shirt or a new dress or whatever. That's not evil. That's not evil at all. But just don't think you have to have more than what you really have to have, right? Understand that if we do have more than just the basic necessities, that's a, that's a blessing. That's something we ought to be praising God for and thanking God for. Don't 
take it for granted if you're blessed like that. It's a wonderful thing. But learn to be content with where you are right now. We keep thinking, boy, I'll really enjoy life once I get this. Then I'll really enjoy life. I can remember as a kid growing up, they, they would come out with, it's not quite like today, but, but even back in the day, they would come out with a, a new uh, tennis shoe or something like that that all the kids were wearing, and you'd think, man, I, I'd love to have a pair of those. Right? If I could just get a pair of those, it's going to be great. You know, uh, everybody wants to be popular. Everybody wants people to, to think they're, they're cool and, you know, and, and, and they have the latest, greatest stuff. Everybody likes that. It's nothing, you know, that's, that's not a terrible thing to understand that people like that. But here's the thing. Even if you could get them, and occasionally I would be able to get something like that, not often, but occasionally I would. Remember, even when I got them, it didn't really change who I was in any way whatsoever. Here's what they've always said, and excuse me for saying it this way, but I've heard it this way my whole life. If you are a jerk before you get rich, then here's what's going to happen when you get rich. You're going to be a rich jerk. You're just going to have more money to be a jerk with now than you were before. You see, getting the stuff is not going to change who you are in a good way. That happens through growing up as a Christian, maturing like we talked about last week. As a Christ follower, we grow up to be more like Jesus. That's help, that helps us be who we are. But if we don't get this right, here's what happens. If we live our, our time on this earth just pursuing the stuff, here's what the problem is with that. The first problem is it can destroy your integrity. It can destroy your integrity. Remember what James said these rich people were doing? Remember, he calls them rich already. They've got the money, but what are they not doing? They're not paying people like they should. They legitimately worked in their fields. They had done what they were supposed to do, and they were withholding wages from them. You see, even when you get the money, if you're not a good person, you're still not going to be a good person. If you don't have integrity, you're not going to have integrity when you get more. If you don't have integrity now. You need to be concerned about who you are, not what you have. Proverbs 22, verse 1, it says this, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. You think, well, if I had money, people would look up to me more. Think about that again for a minute. Because in our culture today, People aren't necessarily looked up to because they have money, are they? Now, they might be catered to, but there's a difference in being catered to and being respected and honored. They cater to people with money because those people can do something for them. It's not because they think they're great people. It's not because they think they're wonderful individuals that they cater to the people with money. So, so rethink that. If, if you want people to think highly of you, and, and we shouldn't be too concerned about that, but, but, but here's how it works. We really have greater respect for people who are honorable, good people, don't we? Who, who we know love like they ought to love and show respect to everybody the way they ought to show respect that are honest, that you know you can trust them when they tell you something. If they say they're going to do something, you know they're going to do it. Don't we respect people like that a lot more? 
See, it's about character, not income, not bank account. So it can destroy your integrity if you're just always living to get more. It can also destroy your relationship with other people. I've seen this so many times as a pastor, how money and business dealings between people can destroy relationships. Boy, it happens over and over again. I've seen it just divide families, just destroy families, family relationships over the stuff. Somebody dies and leaves some money behind or leaves some stuff behind, right? And they're fighting over who gets what. Just tearing up relationships with each other to get what they want to get. I heard this a long time ago. Always borrow money from a pessimist. He won't expect it back. <laughs> Doesn't think you're going to pay it back when he loans it to you. Here's another one. I like this. Never lend money to a friend. It's too dangerous. It could damage his memory. <laughs> Doesn't it just change a relationship when somebody owes you something or you owe somebody something? It just changes the relationship, doesn't it? It's awkward now between you. And see, if all you care about is money, then you don't care about destroying the relationship because you're getting the money anyway. But shouldn't relationships be more important than money? Shouldn't they have greater value than money? If you're not content with what you've got, then you can destroy relationships to get it in the process. Paul warns about this in a letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, beginning with verse 9, he said this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And here's the statement. It's often, so often misquoted. Here's what it says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know the misquote. Money's the root of all evil. Haven't you heard that your whole life? God never says money's evil. Money is neutral. It's neither good nor evil. Money is totally dependent on your approach to it, what you do with it, what you think about it. It's totally neutral. Money is neither good nor evil. And God never condemns money as an evil thing ever in Scripture. But he says the love of money, he doesn't even say it's the root of all evil. He says it's the root of all kinds of evil. Think about any evil thing that exists in our culture today, in our society today, and what's the driving force behind it? If you go deep enough and look behind it, it's money. Every evil thing in the world today, the driving force behind it is greed for money, for stuff. Why do they sell drugs to people when they know they're going to get addicted and it can ruin their lives? Why? They can get some money. Why has human trafficking become such an evil plight on our culture today? Money. Money's behind it. Not money, but the love of money is what's behind it. Why are there thefts all over our communities? Why are people getting shot over drug deals because somebody didn't pay their money they were supposed to pay, but they were desperate for the drugs, right? You see, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And we've got to learn as Christ followers that life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions because if we fall in love with money too much, it brings all kinds of grief to our lives. 
and to the lives of other people that we're supposed to love and care for and honor. Well, here's the worst thing. It can also destroy your relationship with God. It can totally destroy your relationship with God. Jesus said this, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money, he said. It's impossible to do both. God demands to be first place or no place in our lives. Either he's Lord or he's not. And if you're living for money, then Jesus is not Lord. He's not. And if he's not Lord, he can't be in your life because that's the only place he'll have. He deserves that place, right? He should be honored in that place in our lives. But if we're loving money too much and living for money, then we move Jesus off the throne and we put money on the throne. We put stuff on the throne of our lives. You can't serve two masters. He said, where your treasure is, that's where what's going to be. Your heart also. What do you value most? Is it the stuff or is it the Lord? Is it the money or is it your Savior? What do you love the most? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be too. So what are you investing in? What are you caring about the most? What are you living for above everything else? He said, seek first the kingdom, the righteousness of God, and all the other stuff will take care of itself, remember? Put the kingdom stuff first. Make that the higher priority. Which leads to the third lesson today, and that's this. We need to desire wealth in heaven more than we desire wealth on earth. Desire wealth in heaven. Remember the story he told? The problem the farmer had was not that he had a bunch of grain stored up. It wasn't even that he built bigger barns. The problem was he was not rich toward God. That was the problem. He didn't put God in the equation at all. He, he didn't think of the future. He didn't even consider eternity. Now, why does James include this warning in the book of James that we started with? Why does Jesus tell this story? It's because it's a warning to us not to get it wrong, not to live too much life before we learn the lessons we need to learn because of the eternal consequences that go with making the wrong choice. If we live for the wealth of this world, it's going to let us down. But if we're rich toward God, there are treasures in heaven that we can look forward to and enjoy forever. We need to desire wealth in heaven, which means he tells these stories not to condemn any of us, but to call us to repentance. We need to repent. All of us, I'm including myself, all of us need to repent. Here's what repentance is. It's when you're going one direction and you realize this is not the way God wants me to go and because I love God, I don't want to go that way anymore. So you stop going that way and you turn around and you start going the right way. That's what repentance is. And all of us have probably had moments along the way where we've put way too much value on the stuff and not nearly enough value on honoring God. 
making him the priority that he ought to be in our lives. All of us from time to time get caught up in the newest and the nicest and the best that's still out there. We see the ads and we see our friends get the stuff and we see other people with all that and it looks like they're successful. But remember, life does not consist, it's not measured by the abundance of our possessions. But we get deceived by Satan and we start thinking of those people as successful even though their lives may be eternally lost in the process. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and forfeit his own soul? What could you give in exchange for your soul? So we need to repent. There's one guy that heard a sermon about this and on lying and deceit and greed, and he wrote the IRS this letter. He says, I, I can't sleep knowing that I've cheated on my income tax. So he enclosed as a check for $150. If I still can't sleep after that, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> See, that's not repentance. That's not quite repentance. Repentance is saying, man, it's not about cheating on my, on my taxes to have a little more. It's about being the man or the woman God's called me to be, honoring him in my life. But when we repent, it should lead us to do the next step, which is to start practicing generosity, right? We need to practice generosity. We need to make that the habit of life. There was a local charity that never received a donation from the uh, town's banker. Everybody knew he was a wealthy person. And so the director of the charity made a phone call to the bank president. He said, our records show that you make over 500000 a year, yet you've never given a penny to charity. Wouldn't you like to help the community by donating to our charity? The banker said, did your research show that my mother is ill? Extremely expensive medical bills? No, said the director. Did it show that my brother is blind and unemployed or that my sister's husband died, leaving her broke with four kids? The director muttered, uh, no, I'm sorry, I had no idea. The banker said, well, if I don't give them any money, why should I give any to you? <laughs> you see how you can get it mixed up? You see, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And more than anything else, it keeps us from living a generous lifestyle. It keeps us from being the good influence to those around us that God has called us to be. So we need to remember to practice generosity on a regular basis. How do you learn to be generous? It takes what? Practice. You have to actually start somewhere and practice. People say, well, I've never tithed to the church. Well, how do you get started? You just try it for a little while. You practice for a little while, right? You try it this week, and then next time you get paid, you try to give some in. Next time you get paid, you try it again. And after a while, it becomes who you are. Over time, if you practice enough, it becomes natural for you now to do that. You become generous in how you live your life through practicing generosity. And the final thing is this, and all these are connected, is we serve humbly. We serve humbly. No matter how much or how little we have, we understand that we're called to be servants in the kingdom I love the example that Paul uses. I've used it many times over the years. Uh, the church 
in the churches of Macedonia. When they were taking up this special offering to help out the saints in Jerusalem, they had asked churches to contribute to help out their brothers and sisters that were in great need. And they didn't even ask the churches of Macedonia to help because they knew they were going through such hard times right then. And so Paul thought, well, it's wrong even to ask them, right, to, to help out and be a part of that. But the churches of Macedonia didn't like that they didn't get asked to help. They wanted to help. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8, beginning with verse 1. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Listen to what it says. goes together here. He said there's a severe trial, but at the same time there's overflowing joy. He said they had extreme poverty, but yet they were showing rich generosity. How do those things go together? Happy. Thanks. Giving lifestyles. That's how. They understood that the way to have joy Real joy in life, lasting joy, is to learn to be generous people under all circumstances. You know how you get to do that? By being content with what you have. Enjoying contentment in all circumstances. A while back, I did a series from Philippians, and that's where we find that great passage by the Apostle Paul. It's misquoted a lot of times, but here's what it says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that's not the real quote. That's what some translations say. But here's what it says in the original language. I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. What is the this that he's talking about? If you go back and read the previous verses, you know what he's talking about? He says, I've learned to be content in any and all circumstances. I know what it is to have a lot. I know what it is to just have a little. And I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. Real contentment is only found in a right relationship with Christ. If we can get that part right, if we can honor him as Lord and love him supreme above all, then that's what allows us to have contentment. And when you learn contentment, you experience great joy. Joy that can't be taken from you because it's not dependent on circumstances. It's dependent on your relationship with the Father through his son, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in this series, we've been reminded of what a happy, thanksgiving kind of life is all about. And we're reminded as we finish up this series today that it really boils down to this, seeking you first above everything recognizing the value that having a right relationship with you is of greater value than anything temporary in this world could ever do for us. Knowing that if we have Christ in our hearts as Lord and Savior, we've got the greatest treasure of all already. There's nothing this world could give us that has greater value than that. Thank you, Father, for the overwhelming gift of your Son, Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.